Hey everybody, welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with Robbie Wagner and Chuck Carpenter. You may also know him as Charles W. Carpenter, but we're just going to start calling him Chuck now. We're from uh, ShipShape. We do a lot of JavaScript stuff, web stuff, um, various stuff. So if you haven't heard of us and you've stumbled across this podcast, you can check us out at ShipShape.io. If you like this podcast, please follow us. So I'm known as as Chuck on on our website, so I should probably just keep going by that. You know, <laughs> really confuse our audience and fans if if I called myself something else. We could write a script that changes your name periodically to different things on the website. Yeah, I like that. Every 48 <laughs> hours, uh, Mountain Standard Time. All right, so today we have Old Elk, which I have not had before, and bought just because I was looking through the liquor store and was like, hey, this bottle looks kind of cool and has a gold winner tag on it. And that was the exact logic I used when I bought Sagamore for the first time. So it's like, hey, maybe this will be good. Um, yeah, those those are your criteria for success is this looks cool and I haven't tried it. It must be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I'm not going to read this because I'm lazy and the font is small. Do you know anything about the mesh bill in here? Uh, well, so what I have done uh, this time and a few previous episodes, actually, I've been leaning into the Internet. I hear it is a wealth of information. And uh, I've found a particular site that gives me uh, some info about different whiskeys and um I just started going back to that. It's called breakingbourbon.com. Um, mm. It's got a review. It's got a breakdown of what the whiskey is, what the company who produced it, a little about the distillery. So usually like where it came from, was it sourced? Was it locally distilled age statements if exists? So like all the stuff that's difficult to read on the bottle and then a few other extra things are, are on this site. So mm. Nice. I'm doing that yet again. Thanks, BreakingBourbon.com, um, our friends and future sponsors. Just kidding. No <laughs> idea. But the site's useful, so I recommend it. Uh, it is a, uh, so it's a weeded whiskey, uh, which it does say on the bottle. So that just means there's um, some, although interesting well, that it says wheat whiskey. Mine says wheat whiskey. Mine is blended not. Straight. Oh, mine is so blended, I think I have something. straight bourbon whiskey. Doesn't say anything about wheat. Oh, well. Yeah, so this is why I'm confused. It looks like I ended up getting... Uh, it was difficult to find this here in Phoenix. Um, and maybe this is why I got a special bottle versus the normal bottle. Uh, yeah, so on Breaking Bourbon, it says it's a 51% corn, 34% malted barley, 15% rye. Apparently mine has some wheat in it, so those would be a little different. Uh, there's no yeah. breakdown. The back of mine says... Uh, hmm. four times more malted barley than conventional recipes. So I think that breakdown sounds correct About for right. mine. Um, yeah. Yours probably has Our, a lot more wheat, I would think. Yeah, it might not even have any malted barley, and it's hard to say. Let's see here. Uh, there was That's applied to that expertise, to is now held in this bottle. The result is a product of winter wheat, and oh my, this is 95% winter wheat and 5% malted barley. I don't even know how okay, that's possible. Okay, so we have drastically very, different. 
This has no corn in it, so it isn't even a bourbon. Um, so there you go. Snafu, aligning uh, <laughs> what exactly we're getting here. And it looks like I have something else other than what you have. Well, so you will let's, try let's the try normal. Yeah, <laughs> let's try them and see what we think. Uh, it's okay. It's happened before. Yeah, it has. This is not the first time, so... Whoa, is that a sound effect, or that's just you? That oh, was that me. Was, that was very dramatic. You did it right next to the <laughs> to mic. I'm impressed. All right, so mine, standard bourbon. Let's give it a try. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> You're... There's no video uh, in our podcast, but if you could see Robbie's face right now, it is not one of joy. Well, it is. So it's confusion. It's not that I don't like it. It's uh, I think it's maybe not potent enough or something like not enough alcohol or enough different flavors. And the back, I think, was talking about how the more malted barley was supposed to like round it out which I mm. guess is what's happening, but it's like, it's not very oaky. It's not very much alcohol. It's like, it's almost like you took a, a bourbon and like watered it down a lot. Mm. And I don't hate it. It just, it's a little too round for me. I like something with some more punch and, and interesting flavors. Yeah. I think I've said it before. Uh, it needs a little more hug, right? Mm-hmm. I need a little burn, a little kick. That is like what American whiskey is to me. Is the alcohol is is definitely part of it? Yeah, the, even this one here with uh with so much wheat going on, it's uh it's got like a sweet smell to it. Even um, now, granted, I'm coming off of a uh, a fairly serious sinus infection, so all of my senses are probably affected affected to some degree. But the sip, though, gave me... Um, it does have a little warmth to it. It has a little brown sugary, and maybe it, it lacks... Uh, what I think it lacks here is some of, like, the oakiness you get out of a normal bourbon, right? I don't, I don't get any of the real oakiness or any woodiness to it. It's got more of, like, a little sweet, a little burn, a little, like, cinnamon, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's all right. Maybe they're not aging these very long. I'm not sure because I don't get a lot of Yours oak in mine either. Yeah. Uh, well, that uh, Breaking Bourbon website said four years age statement. And since oh. mine's not even bourbon, um, it is, it doesn't, I think it's probably like a two year minimum age. And there's no age statements whatsoever. Bottled in Indiana. So that means MGP sourced. Uh, bottled by Old Elk Distillery, Fort Collins, Colorado. But they probably just like had it distilled in Indiana and sourced it out of there. Like, here's my mash bill. Boom, two years later, give it back to me. Um, yeah, so eh, I, I don't hate it. I, I agree with you. It's not like, oh, this is horrible. I can't drink it. It's 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 better than some like bottom shelf stuff by far. You know, it's 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 rounded well like Mm -hmm. you know very rounded but it doesn't like stand out necessarily so yeah i I agree it's very balanced but it's i don't want it to be this balanced i guess (laughs) so like yeah i want it to like yeah i want it to give me like stronger flavors and i'm not getting a lot of that again the sweet notes that i talk about like they're pretty mild 
Um, so for me, um, because I talk about it being so middle, I'm going to give it with a, what is the, I guess the middle is four or five. I'm going to give it five because four seems like pretty like, oh, I don't I'm, I'm kind of getting to where I don't like this. And I can't say yeah. that it just but it doesn't do much for me. So I'm going to go I'm going to give it a five tentacles. I think five tentacles for me as well. Like I don't dislike it. It's just not exciting to me. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would drink it. I don't think I would buy it again. Yep. Not as bad Hits. as the one you had to immediately stop drinking and gift to someone. <laughs> yes, yes. The uh it was like the maple syrup stack one, the Hudson whiskey. Yeah, that one was yeah. just mm, yeah, not at all for me. But hey, can't win them all. Yeah. Speaking of not winning them all, something that I lose at almost daily is anything <laughs> investment related. And we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, some crypto and NFT stuff earlier. And I still don't even understand half of the stuff. Like there's a new token every day and like all this NFT stuff doesn't make sense to me. Cause it's like, okay, you bought a JPEG and it's like $65 million and it's like, well, how does that work? Like anyone else can download the JPEG, but you're, you can say, oh, well, I'm the real owner, but who cares? Everyone else can download it. So, yeah, right. Like, there's no prevention mechanisms around display or what display even really looks like. Uh, I don't know. It's that part I don't understand. Um, Julian, who works with us, uh, he's sort of interested in collecting some of these NFTs and obviously not the $65 million level, but uh, what he jokes about and says is like when we all switch to like VR headsets or AR headsets, something like that, then you'll be able to see this art on the walls, right? Like you can program the AR to project your art up and then it's on the wall kind of like that. Otherwise you'd be maybe like buying some crazy screens to showcase your own art. And then, yeah, basically through the blockchain, it would identify this as the original and you as the owner, I guess. I don't know if ownership stuff is, gets added to that. Um, now that I say it out loud, I don't know. I don't know if that has any part of it, but like in terms of the authentication of the piece, that's really what it's all about because like counterfeit art market is actually a really huge thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, it takes human intervention and a little bit of science to try to identify, but even that is potentially flawed. Um, there was a Netflix documentary a around a huge scandal with a very old gallery in New York. I don't remember the name of the documentary, but it's like a very old hundred plus year gallery in New York that had to shut its doors through a scandal, finding out like over like a 20 year period, they actually had been selling a number of fakes unbeknownst mm -hmm. to them, apparently. And, um, yeah, I was like some guy, you know, out in Long Island painting them and using, uh, like chemistry to assemble the, uh, exactly what would be in paints from like that era. And it, it's really interesting. And you have all these expertise, like checking off and giving you, um, yeah, this is certified. Oh, it's gone under microphone microscope. That's certified. Everybody says, yes, it's good to go. Sells for $40 million. And then you find out 10 years later that, nope, it's actually just painted by some guy in a garage out in Long Island. It's crazy. So essentially that is the problem that NFTs address. It's, which is interesting, but still kind of like hard to wrap your head around, right? Because like we're 
we're so used to assigning value to like physical things. Like, can I touch this? This is what is valuable to me. And I'm trying to assign a value to just like something that like, I don't know. Okay. The interesting thing about the whole internet, right? Like if you unplug everything, if we didn't have electricity, it ceases to exist. Right. Is that apply right. to this thing too? <laughs> yeah, I, I can be certain of its authenticity, but what I can't be certain is that it lasts forever. I mean, I guess we assume we'll have an electrical grid for the rest of humanity, but what if we didn't? Well, if we didn't, I, I think I really don't care about any of the things I own, right? <laughs> like, yeah, the whole world changes. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so perhaps that's a rabbit hole too deep. But um, yeah, but it's for me, it's like, it just doesn't make sense because I hadn't thought about what you brought up about having a virtual kind of gallery, but for right now, everyone's kind of buying them, just speculating that this is the new thing, the new way you're going to buy digital assets and like that it's actually a good idea. But you know, other than being like, Hey, I'm the guy that spent $65 million on this thing. You can't do anything with it right now. So it's all just like, yeah, you've bought it, but you know, yeah. what, what are you going to do with it? The intrinsic value is only what you are willing to pay and what someone else is willing to pay you really at the end of the day. But That's collectibles true. as a whole sort of apply to that or what everybody agrees that the value is. Yeah. I mean, there's this massive speculative market now and that's what, that's kind of what crypto is in general, which is vastly different than like the initial white papers around it and what its intentions were. So it's hard to see that come to fruition in those ways, but yeah, like to, like crypto as a, like a token of exchange for a process or that's where all these end up coming into play, right? Like, Oh, I need to transfer data. I pay this small fee and that is a crypto token. Um, and then it all gets logged and we all agree that this is on the up and up, but, but how do you buy into that value? And then how do you actually say that I can utilize these tokens if the value is fluctuating on such a constant? Um, how can I use it for the original purposes? So then people just buy into crypto because they're like, oh yeah, it's a potential investment vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of what most of it has been. Like it, we're still trying to figure out the real usages for stuff and uh, I don't really understand how the whole thing works. Like it's, it's outside. I build pretty UIs. I don't think that deeply about like how the blockchain <laughs> works, but, but it's like, to me, like you mentioned, you know, so if, if everything, say we run out of electricity for like a couple of weeks, right. Instead of forever, what happens is when everybody comes back online, does the blockchain fix itself or does there always have to be at least like one active person on it? or it blows up. You know what I mean? Well, no, I don't think the ledger ceases to, to like maintain persistence. Like if it exists somewhere in a battery backup data sensor center somewhere that, you know, doesn't dissolve and go away and cease to function or whatever else, assuming like everything is fine functionally when you come back online, like the ledger is is kind of just that, and that's kind of why they call it the ledger, right? You're adding entries into the ledger. The blockchain isn't like a thing of momentum. It is just, um, it's a thing of like 
security, like kind of the, the way that you think of QuickBooks is the ideal is that you're adding entries into this ledger and they're technically to a degree immutable because it's just what it is. And the blockchain is one more level on that to like, it's immutable. It's locked into that. This is a bit of what occurred along these lines and there's nothing you can do about it. It just, it doesn't change. If there are new, no new entries, it's just there waiting for you to add new entries. But since like the point of it too, is that it's decentralized, right? So like, mm-hmm. right. If that, I just don't know how that would, I guess it's smart enough to fix itself. If like everything catastrophically fails for a couple of weeks and then devices start coming back online, it, it can reconcile what may have happened elsewhere and, not break. Yeah. Well, now you start to get like way into the weeds in terms of like how it works that I, and I don't know uh, those (laughs) answers, but like, yeah, so it's immutable, but it is uh, every single copy of it is the same essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. And every time you update the ledger that's permeated across all copies of that. Right. So, yeah. So in, in, but I mean, across the network and how that all works and, you know, what are the fail safes around that? No idea. That's an interesting question. You know, like, I mean, you might have like, I've made a transfer of a coin from my wallet to your wallet. And that takes time though, across the mm-hmm. network. And that's like one of the complaints about some coins versus others is I try to make a transfer to you and like Bitcoin now, because of the way that it validates takes five hours and uh, Ethereum is way faster because the way it validates is a little bit different. And, you know, if, if the world shut down during that timeline, you probably, that transaction just gets dropped because, right. But, but how does that actually work? Like if there's a fail somewhere, does it fail across the ledger and it's nowhere? Or does if like copy a comes online and cop, you know, copy a uh, b c d doesn't and a has the transaction is that now like the the you know the the truth and it's done or yeah, vice I don't versa know. i don't know i don't know how it works i know um back in the like really original old days of bitcoin when no one really knew what it was or if it was worth looking at at all i would do a little bit of mining just for fun sometimes and like you you would send some coins right when you're done mining and be like okay it needs i don't know how many i think back then it was maybe it have to be like at least five or ten validations or something before it sends it so i guess it would be that like it's probably a lot more now like maybe 300 people have to validate it before it'll go through or something and i think that's the thing is once you hit that certain amount of validations it's like all right this must be a real transaction like stores it as real. And then, then that propagates to, to everyone, I guess. Yeah. So seems like something like that's probably closer to the truth. So interesting to note, we seem to have really dove headfirst into whatnot, skipping over web. Is this something to say <laughs> yep. for our format that we're no longer going to follow them explicitly as the title may suggest? Well, to, to go down a, a deeper uh, rabbit hole of, of that too. Like, do we want to have separate episodes of different things? Like maybe we skip whiskey sometimes and we just talk about web stuff. I don't know. Um, that'd really throw off some of the layman, uh, 
some of my friends who are more laymen that uh, come in for just for the first 10 minutes. You know, they just want to listen to whiskey what whiskey we're going to try and, and what feedback we have there and, and decide if it's something they want to try. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also something to think about, right? If you're a non-technical person, maybe you want whatnot in the middle. You could listen to whiskey and whatnot and then jump off when we start to babble about tech stuff. Um, mm, that's true. Yeah, so so much to say there. We're not, we don't have clear metrics from our audience. How many yeah, Twitter I mean, replies do we have around content? <laughs> Zero. I keep trying to see if people will like suggest a whiskey or something and they don't. I think we have a, a pretty technical, pretty Ember specific audience aside from the few that we've like shared with across our networks who may follow it. Most people like our, our most listened to episode is the one with Chris Garrett where we're talking Ember everything. So right. um, proofs in the pudding, I guess then. Yeah, but obviously we want to expand that audience outside of that. So if yeah, everyone I'm thinks... Gonna, sorry, go ahead. No, f- yeah, finish your thought before I interrupt. I was just going to say, if, if everyone thinks that like the only interesting stuff we talk about is Ember, this is your time to comment and let us know so that we can talk more Ember. <laughs> right, because otherwise I might push for some other things that I'm now becoming a real junior uh, in... I'm starting my apprenticeship in Kubernetes recently, and uh, perhaps our next guest will be all around Kubernetes and clusters and I'm busy Helm and (laughs) (laughs) and and just talking about how you know what buttons you're supposed to push to do those things. But uh, yeah, you know, just makes it up could happen unless people say otherwise. I do think we should explore having some guests from other communities. I just don't know who they are because I'm not in those communities. Uh, yeah, I mean, offhand, let's see here. I have I have some ideas. We I have folks in the GraphQL community that could potentially come and chat with us, and that might be a topic that you're a little more open to and interested in. Um, yeah, I I've like GraphQL. Been, yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's complex. There's a lot of choices there. Um, GraphQL is just the general paradigm. And then you go into the flavors of it, which there are many. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that's a thing that we talk about in our next episode. And I'll see. Maybe we talk about it first between us and then invite an expert and then kind of go down that place and try a whiskey with them. Oh, man. This yeah, get crazy. that sounds good to me. We could see if we could uh, get Jeff Bezos to come talk serverless with us. He's probably pretty well versed, don't you think? Uh, no, <laughs> like so. I think the days when Jeff was getting his hands dirty in the code compared to when serverless and just like the functions as a service paradigm came into play as a real thing on AWS, there's probably a few years in between those moments. Um, yeah, from when he l- launched a bookstore in his garage and then where AWS as a, as the dog food and then a service uh, to the world became a thing. Well, we can talk about those sorts of things though, like cloud native infrastructure stuff and like services. I had an interesting conversation a week or so ago with, uh, you know, a potential future partner. And uh, I've been in the AWS space a bunch more lately, but uh, and setting up some of our stuff there, doing things for clients, whatnot. You know, it's very complex. 
there's a reason why they have a whole like certification path. But uh, the feedback that I gathered from this person was around how Google Code and like the whole Google Code platform. Who could say that fast? I don't know. Especially <laughs> not after a whiskey. Um, is a lot easier. It's a light, a lot nicer developer experience because you like go in there and just a lot of these things kind of get done for you and you just give your preferences along the way instead of uh, being this hodgepodge of products that you have to come up with, with like identities to have permissions along to and how do I play with this and this together but also like I can do this in five different ways. I guess Google Code gives you a lot cleaner paths depending upon what you're trying to do. So what you're saying is Google is the ember and then, you know, like, and we always talk about ember being the out of the box, like just hit a button mm -hmm. and it goes. And then react is like, Oh, please install everything, configure your build, do all the things. Yeah. From a high level, I will say that I agree with you because I feel like I am a very layman practitioner and I can get some things done and I have maybe a better understanding than your, you know, normal developer that doesn't get into those things quite, you know, your front end developer who may not like dive into AWS. Like I understand more than they do, but, uh, outside of that, you know, I'm, I've read the four dummies book and, and I can't give too many opinions deeper than that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. My brain is a bit fried for some of our listeners. If I'm having trouble making sentences or being entertaining, I apologize. But, uh, you know, yeah. so many people usually describe you as entertaining. So it's very disappointing this episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone always says I'm like so upbeat, have tons of emotion. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah. If I'm wondering how you're feeling, I usually just look at your face. So. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, another exciting bit of information to share and perhaps a bit of tangential whatnot that we can discuss is, um, so ye, uh, what day is it? It's Wednesday. Okay. So this week I'll say, instead of saying yesterday, which wouldn't be true, I finally received a piece of fitness equipment. Uh, I know I'm probably late to the party because lots of people were doing this throughout the pandemic and being you know, more locked down and so on and so forth. I took the adverse effect and uh, was less, uh, less focused on fitness and uh, very focused on work things and whatnot and, and family things. But fitness has taken a massive downturn in my life over the last year. So a while ago, though, I, I did get on a list to try and order a Concept2 rower. Um, my wife has a spin bike and, you know, we have some uh, some weights and she does the Peloton stuff. And, you know, she's tried to encourage me a few times to do like other workouts on there. I don't like spinning. Uh, Peloton seems pretty nice. And I guess it's a lot of like, you know, it's a lot of value for money, but I hate the playlists and a bunch of their workouts and yeah, I don't know. Just it just hasn't inspired me enough, I guess. So I got a rower this week. Uh, I've done my first row. I'm pretty excited about that. It's something I used to do a lot during CrossFit and even just when I did lifting and, and fitness on my own in the past years. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm upping the home gym as everyone else goes back to regular gyms. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 
I have also let fitness fall by the wayside for sure. Something about getting tons of Uber Eats all the time and never leaving the house makes you gain weight. I don't really understand it, but... Uh, <laughs> As someone who has access to your Uber Eats receipts, um, there uh, there are some clues within there. Um, one of the clues is hashtag Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, you'll be happy to know we have Burger King on the way right now. <laughs> huh? oh, Much disappoint. <laughs> But yeah, um, I've been actually getting more into Peloton. I would agree that I don't love spinning. However, I like how like high quality their classes are and how like many of them there are and the, the different formats and things. Um, the one that I'm doing now is with uh, Alex Toussaint is like one of their uh, instructors and he's like super motivational and uh, has this... Uh, like game one now where you choose a team and you like, you practice for a couple of weeks and then there's like a live one where your teams both compete and you like try to beat the other team. Um, so that's sounded pretty cool. So I've been, we've been doing that. Uh, they also added like, you can do it. You could always do one with friends, but now you can like video chat and like actually talk to them and see them and stuff. So it's, it's getting more, interesting and like you know having that ability to see someone else for that accountability is is good because otherwise I would just sit on the couch uh, yeah I mean I totally agree there and the motivational factor though mo- most of the problems around this are, are definitely from myself and not a reflection of issues with Peloton or any other kind of fitness app um, I did I would get frustrated with the playlists that was a little bit annoying, but I did like a decent amount of the instructors. I just, yeah, I cannot get into spin. I've tried it a few times. It's just definitely not for me. If this person has non-spin workouts, which I know that like some of them will do some like transitional things, some like warm up workouts, some floor based things, some hit workouts. I usually do some kind of strength workout. Sometimes I'll, I would do, and not recently, but um, they have really great uh, like ab workouts, uh, uh, cool downs, and uh, I haven't done any of the yoga things, but I actually like yoga, so I should probably be more open to that. So I would utilize Peloton for those things. Yeah, I mean, I haven't tried a lot of their other stuff. They even have like meditation and, you know, mental health type of things, but uh, I pretty much just do this the spinning. Um, so I'm not sure if he has classes and other stuff, but... I would be interested in some of their strength ones. Um, I think I actually did a couple of strength ones cause they had some kind of challenge where like do one workout of each type or something to like complete the challenge. So, so I did right. that. I think all the challenges are cool. Like motivating you to check those boxes. But, uh, yeah, I, I typically just like bench and, and do squats and stuff like traditional strength training and then do some spinning. Gotcha. Yeah, I I typically collect um, fitness equipment uh, and try to let it sit in a box or the corner um, and see how much dust it collects. That's <laughs> I'm really good at that challenge. I my Apple Watch hasn't notified me yet that I've won that badge, but I'm, I feel like I'm getting close. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a TRX, which, you know, I would advocate for TRX. There's some great, uh, you can even just go on YouTube and do TRX classes. Those are pretty cool. 
Um, I've got some kettlebells. I, in the past, really enjoyed kettlebell training. Also a really nice thing. Um, yeah. So getting over that hump of, of like creating a new habit is really all I, on. I'm kind of yeah. stuck on. Yeah, definitely. I think my dad is trying to get the same badge you're going for of letting stuff collect <laughs> dust because he got a, a, it was like months, a couple months into the pandemic, I guess, you know, everyone's stuck at home. He's like, all right, I'm going to get me a workout machine, like a, not a Bowflex, but like, you know, something like that where it does a whole bunch of different workouts. Um, and so I got down there a couple months after he finally gets it like six months into the pandemic. <laughs> It shows right. up because it came from like China and like took forever. But uh, I'm like, oh, oh, cool. This has been set up for a couple of months. Like, have you used it? And he's like, nope. And then <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> I want to use it. So I go use it. And I'm like, wait, this doesn't tell you how much weight this is. Like, are you just supposed to lift random amounts of weight? And he's like, oh, no, it came with this sticker pack. I just haven't put these on to see like, <laughs> what stuff is. Well, so he so, wasn't kidding. He, he had used it zero times. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's using it now though. He, uh, he decided that April was the time and he was going to work out, like do some kind of physical activity like daily. So he's been sticking to that, I think, which is good. Yeah. Well, there you go. See, so what we've learned here based on the evidence presented and, and, uh, maybe even age range, it's hard to say, you, uh, your dad and I, same. Yeah, he's, uh, no, my, my wife's dad and you are, are closer in age. My dad is, is like, uh, what is he now? Oh, I'm not sure. 66, 67, <laughs> something like that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, Caitlin's dad is like 50. So he's like not, not far away. Yeah. We could arm wrestle. <laughs> yeah. It's potentially, um, so I, I, I kind of hope, but then maybe not that your dad listens to this podcast. <laughs> well, I think I was talking to him about it and I don't know that he realized one that we had a podcast, even though I've been posting it on like Facebook and stuff or two, like what even a podcast is. Hmm. So if he were ever to listen to it, if he picked an episode to listen to it, probably be like the first or second or whatever. I don't think he would get to hear so. We're probably pretty safe. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> you want to hear a very interesting tidbit, wild fact? If your dad is 67, yeah. he is older than my dad, my biological father. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a little confused now. I'm trying to do that math. <laughs> you should. Okay. So I am 43 and my father is 23 years older than me. So I would make him 66. Okay. Yeah. That's not, that's not crazy. Like having a kid at 23 is not that crazy. No, not that crazy. I mean, it also sign of the times a little bit. And as some people who either know me or maybe listen to a prior episode of the podcast, but I grew up in the Northern Kentucky, like Cincinnati area. So it's the Midwest. That's kind of what you do. You get, you know, to a certain milestone in life. Oh, 20s. I mean, even when I was uh, growing up in my early 20s, I left that area when I was 21. And people were teeing up for 
thinking about marriage, buying houses and whatnot. And I had lots of friends in like the 24, 25 age get married and have kids. Not too crazy. Come out of college, maybe think about um, doing some sort of master's, but also thinking about your family and setting that up. Yeah. I mean, not for me, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. people where I grew up are like the same, you know, if, well, I guess it, part of it depends if you didn't go to college, like what else are you going to do? You're going to be looking for a wife and kids sooner. But, um, even for those that went to college, I don't know, like if they move back to town, it's just kind of, not that there's nothing in town. It's just like, that's kind of what you do. You know, there's, yeah. there's not as much opportunity and like, you know, people aren't obsessed with work and, and working till they're 30 and then having kids kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, we're zoning in on a few different things here. Uh, why is Eric Hockenden calling me right now? Let me ignore that call. Patch him into the podcast. We got yeah, I should patch him into the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. What I should let him know is that you know, you're mentioned on this podcast. Let's see if you actually listen to our podcast and comment. We're watching the fact. IP address. We'll see if you're listening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Live stream. Uh, yeah, no, I think you've actually touched into a whole bunch of uh, potential sociological paradigms there. And that, A, um, so for one, I did go to college, but I didn't graduate. I actually quit college. I don't even know if you know that. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, like uh, well into it too, but I started in architecture and went into like some photography stuff, some like digital design at the time, which was massively different is how that's defined now. Um, University of Cincinnati. And then I was like, well, maybe I can just graduate with some uh, B of A in art history. And then, and then I said, well, now I'm just trying, trying to graduate. Like, what's the point of this? Stopped, moved to Arizona at that time. Uh, I have taken lots of school, but not like very focused school since, uh, around photography for quite some time. I actually, that was like a jumping point that got me into the web to begin with. Um, and, uh, I went to film school for a year just for fun. Cause mm -hmm. I like movies and the whole process of making film and whatnot. But, uh, the funny part about it was that, I was in film school and my whole like career around web and what, whatever was, was really taking off and actually like getting a great foothold. And I had some great career opportunities then. So I had to make a decision because if you keep going in film school, well, your life is around making movies and it's like you're writing or producing your own, you know, student films or you're helping someone else do theirs. And I didn't have time to like do school and that, and then like have this career path. So I had to make a choice and here yeah. we are. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that though. Like even people that finish school is like, they get a degree in history, art, art history, you know, it's something that like they enjoy, but it's like, then they just, they do a little bit of web development and they're like, Oh, I like this. And this pays the bills. And like, they just pivot and, yeah, that's, there were a ton of people when I worked for Jive that like had nothing technical at all as majors. And I was like, hmm, interesting. I didn't really get the full stories from all of them, but there's a lot of people that have winding paths <laughs> to that sort of career. Yeah, right. So you have the computer science path and you have the non-traditional path. And 
it's interesting how that works. And then you have people that are appeal that appeal to the industry because of the lifestyle, you know, like there's a lot of talk about the lifestyle and, and, and the potential. And it's interesting cause I've never really seen that. So, you know, as you know, I've been in like hiring and engineering re- leadership for quite some time. So I've seen all levels of that. And it's interesting when you know someone is coming to it with like that intended purpose, but it like takes, you know, it takes a lot of work to, to get good or at least proficient and, and, uh, do work that, that, you know, people accept and you're proud of or whatever. And then there's tons of people that are just like trying to punch a clock and get the lifestyle. And it never really seems to work out that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I think we've probably mentioned this on previous podcasts, but it's all about like your mentality, what you want to put into it. Because a lot of people that go the traditional computer science route are just kind of like, okay, I've spent four years of college learning coding. Like you should just hire me. I know what I'm doing. Like I'm not going to put in the time to keep learning. I'm not that hungry for it. It's just my day to day thing I'm used to doing. Whereas someone pivoting is like, you know, if they've had a bunch of different jobs, even like the more you've had in different types of fields, the more I feel like you can do anything. And that's why you've had so many. So it's like those people are hungry to be like, let me learn this new thing. It's, you know, I'm putting my livelihood on the line here to totally pivot. And like I'm motivated and and that is so much better than someone who has a traditional background, I would say most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself up for criticism potentially, but the people who go through and get a computer science degree and then just say, I want to turn this, this learning experience explicitly into my job experience and then build my career on that oftentimes become Java developers for life. Right. And that's what you learned at school. So like, that's your expertise java or c yeah and not to say there isn't a potential great career path in that like for some people there's definitely a path for those people who um, want that and they want to go in and you know work at the bank and write the java code for the bank and just keep that maintain that forever and i don't know if there are gold watches anymore but get the gold watch and move on yeah yeah i mean i'm actually really happy with this whole new like just do a boot camp for six months and like learn stuff and and start pivoting because we didn't even have like that's the traditional computer science path I think probably even till today like it's been a while since I graduated but it doesn't move fast so they're probably still teaching Java still teaching C doing all of this like you know super back-end enterprise programming maybe mention the web like everyone's online all day like it's a thing where's html at like yeah i, I yeah. don't understand why they don't teach that more uh i have two comments there yeah i know one of the cs programs had uh switched from java to python and i can't recall if it's mit's or stanford's but it's one of those major cs programs um and uh, i think like iTunes University used to offer all of their classes. And so I I recall like some time ago going through some of those classes myself when I was working in Python a while ago. Um, Well, one of the, regardless, one of those, 
has pivoted to Python. And, you know, Python's a really straightforward language and the paradigms match all kinds of other things. It's not everybody loves it. I like it. I think it's clean. I think it's like speaking a little bit and gives you all those things. I disagree. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Gives you a bunch of computer science paradigms. So, you know, there's a plus there regardless. Yeah. Um, I agree that it's like a good thing to learn, like for teaching computer science. I just, in a personal preference, I cannot use any language that does not have braces. I'm sorry. I'm never going to press the space bar. I'm going to auto format. So I need the braces. Yeah. You want braces. You want, uh, what about semis? I mean, uh, I prefer them, but really, I mean, I can deal with, you know, commas or not semis or not. I have to have the braces though. Cause then I don't have to press space every time I want to go in a little bit. I can just auto format. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, all opinions are valid. Yep. Yeah. I don't have a problem with semicolon or, uh, braces either. Uh, but they don't completely turn me off to other things either. A little soft spot in my heart for Python for like back in the day, who knows if I would ever go back to it, but I have no problems with it. It's just really like career trajectory. We actually, uh, in school learned Jython. Have you heard of that? No, it's a, I think it's like a Python implementation, like Python type of syntax, but built on Java or something. So Mm. they call it Jython. Wow. Um, And it was, we only did it for like a week, but it was dumb. We were all like, why don't we just use Java or Python? Why are we using this thing? Yeah. One wonders if that project died. I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) If only. What we really got to do is just get you into Rust. I mean, that's what everybody's talking about these days. I mean, I, some days I think it sounds fun to like go back to a real computer science-y, like let's code some shit, you know, type of thing. But like, then I'm just like, yeah, I really like making UIs and, and doing web and I like JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I just think, especially when you're running a business, unless we have someone that wants to pay people who don't already know it to learn it and do it. Like I'm probably unlikely to use it unless we have an internal project that might need it. Well, cue to three weeks from now when I introduce said project, um, I'm down if you've got it. (laughs) So I think, uh, for a psychological side note, I, what has become more and more appealing to me over the years, and I don't like you're, you're saying like, oh, I like building great, great, beautiful UIs and all that kind of stuff. So I want less access for people to like have a personal opinion or tell me what to do. And, <laughs> and you can take that. Becoming however you that like. old man. I think a little bit. Yes. Um, I want you to tell me the business objective. I want you to tell me the goal. And I definitely want to like, attack that problem. And I just want to do it in whatever way I discovers best. And this is, this is a funny thing. So here you go. These, these are your favorite, uh, side notes. There was a point in my career where I was a, uh, titled as a, what, uh, not webmaster. Although I think I did have that title briefly somewhere, but I was like a web designer. I don't know if that uh, you recall the days of web designer where she was like, you were a little bit in Photoshop and you're mm-hmm. in the code I did too. Some Photoshop. 
there you go. So you do some Photoshop and you're like trying to make buttons with rounded corners, but then you're like trying to fight with your boss a little bit because you're like, there's some of these new things. And I know we only want to, we want to support IE6 or whatever it was at the time. So now I need the images to support that. And you're back and forth a whole bunch. And at this time I was in an organization structure where there was like engineering, but they did all the .NET backend stuff. They were just like running the databases and running the ship in the back end. And everything that was presented on the web was through the marketing department. It was, you know, oh, okay, this is how we're viewed to the world. So we want our stamps on this and we're going to do the design portion and all of that. And I had a really smart uh, VP of marketing who understood that like, oh, this is a lot of things happening here and this is still kind of code. So I want to talk to you about this because I really envision these things as being separate. Like, oh, you're a web designer and you're touching all these things. But I feel like that there's the design aspect, there's all the visuals, and that is one person. And then there's all of that taking these visuals and like through the browser and doing the interactions and thinking about those parts. And that is a different part. So I think you should choose which career path do you really want to lean into. Um, Took a day, thought about it came back to him and said, I want this part. I want the part about taking these visuals and, you know, breaking down the code aspect and thinking about like the, um, the active states through all these things and, and doing all that. I don't want any part of Photoshop. I never want to open Photoshop again. (laughs) And, and honestly, I never did for the most part. I pretty much never did. What is funny is that side note is he's like, oh, I'm surprised by that choice. I actually didn't think that's what you were going to pick, but you know, gave you a choice, either direction, valid, interesting. The, the impetus for said choice was I had a boss at the time was kind of a micromanager. And as you're designing things and you'd go through very detailed reasons why like, oh, and I chose this button as blue and it's a primary objective here through this page. And also we're an international company. So through studying a little bit of internationalization, like if you make this button red, that means this thing in China and this thing in Holland and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, but I like red. So I think you should make it red or right. But here's some information. He's like, yeah, but I got to put my stamp on it. So it's a red button. And there you go. So there's this abstraction layer where I no longer now am beholden to this person who wants to put their stamp on things. Great. Put your stamp on whatever. I'm going to solve these problems. And now I think that like, I'm just going one layer deeper on all of that. Like people have input now, you know, uh, user experience, UI, all of that is a bit more ubiquitous and floats up through product organizations and now people are starting to have their own input and that's fine. And I'm not opposed to input, so I don't want it to come off that way. But also I I like the challenge of solving problems. However I want, I want to get to the business objective. I want to solve the problems however I want. So let me just like put myself one more layer behind that. You can read into that however you want. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in, in an ideal world, we could all just solve problems however we want, but that's not often the case. But I think we're getting closer. Like, you know, when people have a complex enough problem, as long as they're not 
also developers and going to be like helping solve it. I think mostly they're like, you know, use whatever I've heard of these things that, that might be nice, but like convince me otherwise. And Mm -hmm. if there's people that are saying, no, we 100% need to do it this way. Maybe we just push back and, and don't, you know? So yeah, I think we have a lot of power in that way in the consulting realm, right? Like we have expertise, we have experience, we have, I don't know what beyond that, but we, (laughs) you know, like we don't, don't lead me along the path because if that was the case, you wouldn't be on our doorstep, right? Like we've, yeah, we've got the battle scars along these ways and we, we truly want to help you meet these business objectives. So how we do that like let us carry some of that load. So yeah, it's mean, not just like leave me alone in the corner, but this is like, I want some of that responsibility. Right. Like if you're paying for our expertise, don't tell us that we're doing it wrong and that you want to do it your way. Cause then you've just wasted your money. So it's like that. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that GIF on LinkedIn where, well, I don't know if it's just on LinkedIn, but I've seen it on LinkedIn a few times where it's like this guy is carrying like a bunch of things of concrete, like bags of concrete that are super heavy, right? And this other guy comes up and he's labeled like the consultant and he has a wheelbarrow and he gives it to the guy <laughs> and he puts all the stuff in the wheelbarrow. And then the guy, the guy that, you know, would have been hiring the consultant, uh, once he walks away, just picks up the wheelbarrow and carries it rather than rolling it. So it's like, you're just not paying attention to this, you know, person that you hired as an expert, which is, is silly. Right, right. Yeah. I have not seen that gif. Uh <laughs> but I'm I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Yeah. And on that note, my Burger King is here, so I have to be done. <laughs> so, thanks everybody for for listening to this. It was quite a tangent. There was not a correct order. We talked about a bunch of random stuff. Hopefully it was still somewhat entertaining and you enjoyed it. If you liked it, please subscribe. It really helps us out if you do. And we'll catch you next week.